0: oneness in christ welcome to bible study this is nick rita your host and i'm very happy to be with you today today it's a very interesting subject which we are going to look at when conflicts arise please stay with us and uh, may god bless you through this bible study i would like to just briefly introduce our panel and i have a full house today here thank you to everyone for coming and taking time to come and share together just uh, start from this side here Brenton thank you for coming back pleasure Nick and also Ken always a pleasure to be here Nick Will good. on the other side good to be here Nick and Len yes hello listeners Lija, thank you for you to, to come
1: thank you for being here
0: Helen is our uh, facilitator for today, and thank you, Helen, uh, for preparing this uh, Bible study. I will just uh, hand it right to you.
2: Thank you, Nick. It's a delight to be here. Our Bible study today has excellent counsel for each of us when conflicts arise. And a few weeks ago, we discussed the early church, how they experienced church unity. And this week, we're going to look at how the early church actually solved the inner conflicts. That undermined its unity and threatened its survival and we're going to look at what these conflicts were how they were resolved and what we can learn today from those experiences but before we get into it Len would you please open with prayer for us thank you
3: Father in heaven we thank you for the opportunity of studying your word and sharing what's in it with those who are listening on radio pray that the Holy Spirit might guide us and also guide those who are listening we invite your blessings and your presence today in jesus name amen
2: thank you very much len okay we're going to set the ground rules with a great text and it's in galatians three twenty-seven and 28 one of the panel have you got that please somebody
4: uh, starting in 27 for as many of you as have been baptized into christ have put on christ and 28 there is neither jew nor greek there is neither born nor free There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus.
2: Thank you, Ken. Can somebody please explain what does it mean being baptised into Christ?
3: Well, the word baptised comes from um, the Greek baptismo, which means to be submerged in. For example, somebody who has a proper baptism is submerged in a large quantity of water, not just bits dribbling over them. So one of the meanings of being baptised in Christ is being submerged in Christ. In other words, our lives, our characters
5: are being submerged in Him. Helen, another uh, definition of that, uh, as Len has said, is particularly important. It also has the, uh, the text we've just read that Ken has read to us from Galatians 3.27, has connotations of changing clothes. Uh, some of the Bible commentaries indicate it's, it's a case of changing clothes. So putting on Christ means putting off your old life, your old character, and putting on a new one. Now, we all know that people who perhaps are poor, when someone takes them along to a shop and dresses them up in a brand new suit of clothes, you hardly recognize the same person. Well, this is talking on a spiritual level, I believe, of... Uh, putting on Christ is putting on a new set of clothes, it's putting on Christ's character
1: Thank you, yes Lydia. I understand that as children are growing in a family and they see whatever whatever their parents are doing they copy them they copy them in a speech together and behaviour and attitude and everything, they're like little monkeys so in the same way we are putting on Christ. As much as we grow every day knowing him and walking in his footsteps, knowing him, we start to behave exactly like him because we are learning from him. So putting on it means his character is imprinting in our own character thank you it's like imitating him isn't it exactly
2: um, I remember the young people at school they have a bangle that says WWJD and I see you nodding here today and what does that mean
3: what would Jesus do yeah
2: what would Jesus do and it's really thinking before we do something to imitate him in that way I love the phrase that Ken you ran out at the end of that where it says for ye are all one in Christ Jesus I think that's actually beautiful. We're neither superior to each other nor inferior to anyone else. Our hearts are united in that close bond of fellowship, each with others and also with our Heavenly Father. So we are one. But tell me, what is one of the most difficult tasks of any Christian community to maintain when differences of opinion arise?
6: One of the most uh, difficult tasks of any Christian community is to maintain unity. Unity when differences of opinion arise on matters pertaining to the identity and the mission of the church. These differences can lead to devastating consequences.
2: That's so true. Yes, Len, you want to say something? I
3: think um, just harking back to what you said a little while ago when we were reading that text from Galatians, or those two texts, that in Christ we are all one. And I get the feeling that sometimes people think that they are superior Christians to others, not realising that we're all tarred with the same brush. We're all sinners. And so just because one might have more talents or more influence, that's no reason to um, try to boss it over other people.
2: That reminds me of the Pharisees in the time of Christ. And one of their problems was pride, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess that harkens back to the very first sin of Lucifer. It was pride. Um, are today's Christian communities any different from those we see in the New Testament?
4: Uh, I, I don't think so. I think today people are very similar to what we were in the early days because we all have human nature. We all have a struggle We all want to do the best that we can, but often, as Paul said, the the good that he wants to do, he goes and does something else that he shouldn't, and and it is a challenge every day, but we have to keep looking to the Lord and, and keep working on ourselves.
2: So people are people, aren't they? Just like back then, you know, differences, even over important points, will come when you have a group of people together okay well let's have a look today we'll discuss how the early christians faced some conflicts arising from perceived interpersonal prejudices and from serious differences of interpretations of key old testament stories and practices and those conflicts could have destroyed the church in its infancy had it not been for the thoughtful apostles and leaders who sought the guidance of the holy spirit and the scriptures to resolve those tensions so firstly we come to what appeared to be ethnic prejudices so panel how about we have a look at Acts 6 verse 1 and find out what appeared to be the problem there Acts 6 verse 1
5: now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution
2: Okay, so there Rose a murmuring. You know, um, I was reading a commentary the other day about that, that the murmuring wasn't just a petty complaint. It was a protest sufficiently vocal to warrant serious concern. Some of them perceived it even as favouritism by these people. And because of the differences in languages and customs, we've got a group here, the Hellenists. Somebody describe what a Hellenist is.
3: Hellenist simply refers to uh, Greeks, Helen
5: of Troy, Mm
2: -hmm.
5: Greeks. These Hellenists uh, basically were uh, people who spoke Greek as opposed to the Jewish Christians who primarily spoke uh, Aramaic or uh, some other language. And so therefore what you've got here is you've got a real problem. You've got not only a perceived problem, but you've got a problem perhaps in communication and one side is seeing the other side and saying they're getting preferential treatment mm. over what we're getting uh, the potential therefore particularly if you have a language problem yes in communicating what is going on you're setting yourself up for a whole heap of other
2: problems that is so true language and culture okay has someone got act six two to six and let's have a look at the simple steps that were taken by the early church to solve this misunderstanding Acts 6, 2 to 6. Lydia, do you have that?
1: Please? Yes. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word this proposal pleased the whole group they chose stephen a man full of faith and of the holy spirit also philip Procorus, nicanor timon parmians and nicholas from antioch a convert to judaism they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them Thank you, Lydia. Do you think the apostles
2: were being a little bit arrogant, you know, when they said, you know, we don't need to do this? I'm putting this in modern-day language, you know. Were they being arrogant, or did they actually have their priorities straight? What do you think?
3: Well, what they did, they called everybody together. Mm -hmm. Because in having everybody together, you get all groups represented. And so because of that I had an opportunity to hear the complaints
0: and solve the problem together.
2: Yes, Nick.
0: Yeah, I was just going to mention that the, to come together and to reason when a conflict arises. That's a very important thing because um, then you need to hear uh, all the parties and you need to consider and you need to uh, allow everyone to express their uh, views because sometimes, even though we may want to change things, we still pursue our own agenda. And we say, th- okay, if you're not happy with that, we may try to do this for you, or that. But in this case, what I really appreciated was that the Apostles called them and said, choose from among yourselves some people who are worthy of uh, looking into this uh, uh, problem And I think that was a very wise decision, because when we look at that, I never thought of that, uh, because I I didn't look particularly for that reason, that all of the uh, deacons which were chosen were not Jewish background, they They were were all all Gentiles, and that was very important, you know, to solve a problem which comes from the other side, to allow them to come and bring their input.
2: Yes,
3: ma'am. It turned out that all the uh, deacons chosen had Greek names. So they were adequately um, capable of dealing with the problems amongst the Greek Christians because they could speak the language. Yes,
1: would you? I observed as I read that they were men of good reputation. What does it mean, good reputation? I think they were very committed They were very consecrated to the Word of God. They had this work on their heart and also full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So it means they didn't work by themselves. They worked being connected with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit. That's a good point. Uh, Will, I think you wanted to say something.
6: I thought of uh, Jethro and Moses. Uh, Moses also had a heavy burden I'm trying to administer everything and Jethro gave him good advice said look you need to diversify choose people to uh, share the load as it were with you and these Apostles with the uh, with the burgeoning church with all of its responsibilities certainly would not have been able to take care of the everyday things and um, I like what they did you know, over the years I have heard of, uh, well, let me put it this way, complaints and disagreements today sometimes blow out of all proportion when dissatisfaction or criticism is discussed privately and a heated trail of talk is left behind. These men, as Lydia has said, were men of, uh, of filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, choose men who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And I guess that diligence comes with uh, someone that is filled with the Spirit.
2: I I found it interesting when I was thinking about this and I thought, is there a lesson for us, even in this first section, of what the apostles did? And I was thinking, really, the ministry of the word should never be neglected because of administrative Mm. burdens.
5: Helen, uh, can I make a brief comment? Yes, go right
2: ahead.
5: There are a couple of issues at work here. Firstly, the church has grown far rapidly than I think the apostles originally anticipated. When any organisation is growing, you have what's called growing pains along with it. If it grows at a consistent rate, you're able to manage it. What has actually happened here is that so many people have become Christians that I think the thing is spiralling out of control the disciples your question was do you think the apostles were being arrogant the answer is no they weren't because they said only about two chapters back we cannot help but speak what we have seen and heard their primary focus their primary business was to preach the gospel of a risen lord jesus christ who had ascended to heaven and was now ministering in heaven for them they were simply recognizing their total inadequacy to be able to look after, as the rest of the panel members have said. Mm-hmm. But I think it was the rapid growth rather than exponential growth mm-hmm. that caught everybody out, and uh, now they were having to adjust as almost on the run.
2: Good, good comment, Brenton. I believe, like you, that the Apostles had their priorities right. Yes, Nick? I
0: was also going to add, just um, talking about the ethnic conflict coming on board, Interesting enough that I believe the disciples and also those men who were chosen, you know, as deacons, uh, their main focus was how this can um, be sorted out and not to compromise or uh, affect the the advancement of the gospel, which Brenton just mentioned, because uh, apostles, they were committed to share the good news the gospel to the whole world and now it's something coming uh, a sensitive issue how could we sort out this thing not to compromise the advancement of the gospel and i would like to just apply that for our time because um, so many religions so many groups of people and sometime the conflict arises and everyone is just holding on their own uh, understanding and not realizing that jesus is kind of pushed out of the picture
3: when any conflict occurs the best way to deal with it is not to stew on it it's to get it out into the open and if it's just with another individual you need to to put the facts on the table i feel unhappy about whatever you've done uh, for these reasons and this is the way i see the problem solved or a solution to the problem Now when it's with a whole group as it occurred back then, the thing is to get it out in the open so everybody understands everybody else. That doesn't happen out of selfish motives. It happens as the Holy Spirit, in the case of Christians, leads us to be uh, open and frank enough to share how we feel and to share solutions and this is what happened back then.
2: Mm, that's a good comment. Ken, you wanted.
3: to... I think
4: one of the other interesting things about this story, of course, is that the uh, early Christians really started with the Jewish people and then the Gentiles were introduced. Now, here we have a, a complete difference between two lots of the people. The Jewish people were set in their ways. The uh, the, uh, the Pharisees had put many laws and restrictions and, and things on them that they had to do. And then the next minute... They're having Gentiles uh, come into the temple and want to be treated the same as them. So it must have been incredibly difficult for the uh, disciples to work through some of these things. Mm.
2: And we're going to see some of those problems as we get further into our study today. But thank you, Ken. I think it was interesting to look at the word ministry because I I was trying to think how did those men feel when they were delegated to administer the food and what have you, as opposed to the apostles who were out there preaching. Now, the one good thing we know is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we look in Luke, he actually uses the word ministry to refer to this in different ways. Does anybody want to comment on that?
3: You know, I think these people are already committed to God and the fact that they were given something special to do was if you like a sideways shift in their christian experience it was perhaps some new duties but they were already committed they were filled with the spirit and so basically they were continuing what they were doing before but with a different emphasis
1: good point Mm -hmm. yes for me as i understand the word ministry it means you work together with God and, wi- and for people together. So this, this was uh, Jesus' ministry when he was on this earth. He worked for people. His life was dedicated for people to heal them, to meet their needs and to do good for them. So this is our ministry as we can see it and we have to apply it in our lives today. Thank you. Yes, I believe Luke uses the word diakonia, is that right,
2: mm, the Greek yes. word? That's, that's uh, and it means service, and mm. it either means it, both to the ministry of the apostles in preaching the word, as well as those deacons who were distributing food. And I think there is a lesson for us here too, when we see someone is in a in a in what we consider a special position, and we may look at it and say, oh, I've got a lesser job. I've actually been with people who have flatly refused to do something because it was beneath them. That was their words. It was beneath them. And to me, again, we're talking self. We're talking pride. And And yet we have an example here. The same word means for distributing food, and these people were so filled with the Holy Spirit they they went about doing what they were asked to do, and I think that's very important. Thank you, Nick.
0: And I would like to also uh, just uh, mention that thing because why was uh, this problem with the distributing food so important? Because in that period of time, they used to practice the thing all in common. You know, they brought together what they had, you know, which was food, all other uh, means of uh, for, for living. And that was important that from that bucket, to say so, was properly distributed and allocated to, to everyone. Now, to apply that in our life, it's a little bit more difficult, but there are things which we have in common. And for that thing which is in common, we should be careful how we administrate that thing, not to uh, pr- give privileges to some people. Even in churches, when we're talking about uh, the Word of God, which Lidia just mentioned, we are here to represent Jesus Christ and to share that good news with everyone else. Sometimes people take sides and say, oh, uh, do you have a degree? Do you have uh, some sort of qualification in that way? But the Word of God, it's for everyone, and it's important to allow people to share that.
2: Yes, thank you, Nick. Right, we're, we're just going to jump down to Acts ten, one to 23. Please don't read the whole um, text for us, but I think the panel, you're familiar with this text anyway. But we've talked about the Holy Spirit, and, and I'd just like to just throw it out to you, what elements in this passage indicate that the Holy Spirit was at work in the hearts of many people to prepare the way for the Gentiles to receive the gospel. In in that passage, what jumped out at you, the work of the Holy Spirit, and with whom?
3: In the description given of those who were chosen to do this special work, it mentions the fact that they were full of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So the Holy Spirit is working in a person. It doesn't matter what they're doing. The Holy Spirit is working in that person. And I believe the Holy Spirit is working in our lives.
2: Amen to that. But just jump into Acts, where we were, Acts 10, 1 to 23. There were particular people that the Holy Spirit worked with, gave visions or whatever worked with them.
3: Well, just to go on from here, Um, of course, Stephen. Stephen was involved in the administration of the food and the stuff that was common to the people. But he didn't just stop at giving out food. He was uh, sharing the word of God, sharing the gospel of salvation. And many people, many people came to the Lord as a result of this ministry.
1: That's a true, yes, Um In uh, Acts chapter 10, it's uh, it's talking about, in verse uh, 1 and 2 and 3, it's talking about a centurion named Cornelius. He was a, a God-fearing person. He looked after the widows and the poor and it says here that he gave generously to those in need and prayed to god regularly and one day in the afternoon he had a vision and he said that he has seen an angel of god who said to him cornelius and he said what is it lord he said your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before god and um, the lord told him to the angel that uh, to call for Peter to come to his place and uh, he sent somebody and he called Peter to his place and when he, he, Peter came to his place he found a house full of people so it means maybe all his family and all his relatives, friends were there and uh, also at the same time Peter had uh, a vision mm. the Lord, the Holy Spirit told him that he, he will be uh, to go downstairs that some people are there to uh, For him. And he went in uh, Cornelius' house and he preached the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. And the whole house that was gathered there, I think, was gathered there through the Holy Spirit's. Uh, in their hearts and they were converted because they accepted Peter's words they accepted the go- the word of God so it means the holy spirit worked in everybody's heart mm-hmm. uh, for a conversion
2: mm. thank you Lydia just one one comment Brendan, before i you know listen to what you want to say and that was am i correct in believing that Cornelius he believed in God but he was seeking more he didn't actually believe in Jesus Christ at that moment did he before spoke with Peter is that correct I can see the panel's got very strange looks on their face I, th-
3: I think That's... Cornelius probably believed as a, a Jew because that was really the only alternative to paganism at that time mm-hmm. so more than likely Cornelius believed as a Jew he knew about the existence of God but he didn't know about the power of God and the companionship of God
1: I
2: was thinking, and that brought out an important point in my mind, that Hebrews 11.6, I think, says
1: that God is a rewarder of those who seek Diligently him. Seek Diligently him. seek him. Thank, Thank you. Yeah. Well, in the Bible, it doesn't mention anything about if uh, Cornelius the cent- centurion believed in Jesus, but it says in, um, if we can see it here in Acts chapter 10, verse 22, says Cornelius well, the centurion, he is a righteous and God-fearing man.
2: Wow. If I had
0: that on my tombstone, I might be happy with that. Yeah, as I said, uh, just to uh, to comment a little bit further on that point, Uh, I believe he, personally, I believe that he believed in Jesus. The reason why I'm saying that, because this great movement, which was spreading out through the disciples and many other people, was because of what Jesus did, actually. And those people heard about Jesus, even though they may haven't heard in the fullness of the teachings of Jesus' ministry. But I believe they heard about Jesus because of after Jesus. Mm. And uh, for that reason, yeah, I, I personally believe that uh, he was a believer uh, in, in God, first of all, but he knew and heard about Jesus. Mm,
2: interesting comment. Thank you, Brenton. You Helen, your
5: question that, was, you. uh, what are the elements or yes. what are some of the elements? one of the key elements is the word willingness. There was a willingness on the part of Cornelius when he was approached by the angel to send his men to Joppa to find Peter. Now the first thing we would recognise there is that he would have known that Peter was a Jew. Now he would have also been aware of the fact that Jews and Gentiles did not associate with one another as far as even going inside their houses went. So this in itself is a major breakthrough. Then the second degree of willingness is Peter's willingness to not only hear the vision, see the vision, but then respond positively when the Holy Spirit says, you've got men downstairs waiting for you, you have to go with them, ask no questions, you have to go with them. I believe today in 2018 for all of us, um, the key thing is, Lord, what do you want us to do? No questions asked
2: uh-huh, I mean, does today. that mean
5: that we won't have questions no it doesn't mean that mm-hmm. but it means that we're willing to do whatever the Lord would have us to do
2: thank you Ben
0: when we're thinking about the this encounter with Peter and uh, Cornelius we're thinking about how Peter or Cornelius they break some of the barriers keep in mind that those barriers was already broken by Jesus Jesus was the one who reached out to, to even to Gentiles, even through, you know, remember even the woman, the well, you know, Samaritanian woman, but remember even the um, the officers, you know, which they come from a, a Gentile background. Jesus was the one who break down those barriers. Now the disciples were just following in the footsteps of Jesus.
2: Yeah, true.
3: When Peter had the vision, where the sheet was let down with from heaven with all types of creatures, including what the Jews would have regarded as unclean. Some people have interpreted this to mean when the Lord said to Peter, rise and eat, that means you can eat anything. Okay, Peter didn't agree with that, and he said, Lord, I haven't eaten any unclean foods in my life. But later on, Peter understood this means that God has no distinctions, no racial distinctions, no sexual distinctions, no educational distinctions, or whatever it is, That, like we had in that first text. In Christ there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. And so this is what God intended and Peter understood. It had really nothing to do about what you put into your mouth. It means how you react to other people.
2: Thank you, Lena. I was coming to that point, but thank you for bringing it up. I'm glad you did because there is misunderstanding on that, but I agree with you, the intent, mm. don't show partiality.
5: Helen, can I make a quick you comment You may, on that? go for it. Mm-hmm. I probably should have made it earlier on on Galatians 3.27. We look at it and say that means everybody is equal. We are equal in Christ in the sense that we are all saved by grace through faith. Does that change the functionality? Is Paul Paul talking about the change in functionality between male and female, between slave owner and slave, between whatever, whatever? Because I tend to think that he is actually talking about an equality at the foot of the cross in so far as that we are all sinners and we all need Christ. Um, remember it was God himself who ordained certain positions and that sort of thing to men, to women, to leaders in the church and that sort of thing. I don't believe that this text is teaching that all of those are now abolished. It's simply teaching that at the foot of the cross, we're all equal because we're all sinners. We all desperately need a saviour. And it's interesting that Paul himself doesn't, uh, we would say in 2018, he should have got on his soapbox and started uh, agitating regarding slavery and that sort of thing. But Paul, in actual facts, teaches his slaves to be obedient and he teaches the masters to be kind in treating the slaves. So I think that's another take yeah. on Galatians 3.27. Yeah,
0: thank
2: you for that. Yes. But
0: I'm glad that uh, you mentioned that, Brendan, because uh, this can uh, this issue can arise some serious conflicts, you know, particularly in our times, in our days, when we, uh, and the world, is going towards that, you know, uh, equality. But very well pointed out, equality at the foot of the cross, the functionality is still in place there and that's very important and I believe that we probably should come together for another study just on those aspects because God is not threshing on his uh, own Rules and regulation and whatever it is in the Bible, and allowing us as human beings just to say this is much better than what God you know intended uh, in whatever he said in the Bible. thank you again, I just want to uh, emphasize on that again.
2: Um, let's just go back to Acts, acts 11. but before I do that let me say totally agree that we are equal at the cross. you know Christ looks on us or God looks on us through Christ when we accept him into our life. And that makes us all one. Acts 11, 4 to 18. And again, we won't read all that text, but Peter explained the work of the Holy Spirit. But what was the main point that he was making by recounting what had actually happened to the Gentiles? What was his main point?
5: Can I read verse 14? You 13, may. Helen, Go please? ahead. Mm-hmm. Verse 14 says, Peter in now recounting it. I think the important thing to remember is that when Peter goes back to the church leaders at Jerusalem, they're not happy. They're not the least happy. They're all Jews. He has gone in. He has not only entered the house of a Gentile, he has eaten food with them. He has possibly stayed under their roof for the night. This is, this is seriously against what Jewish thinking was. Let me read verse 14. Um, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. This is Peter recounting it. Now he says in verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. The clincher for Peter in his um, report to the church, who basically almost straightjacketed him and said, what were you doing? His clincher was, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on us at the beginning and I have six witnesses here who saw it
2: yeah and it's it's very very true that their lives were changed and that to me is a clincher as well the Holy Spirit when he comes into our lives there has to be a change doesn't there so tell me also Acts eleven nineteen to 24 what exciting thing happened next in the life of the early church and I think this is this is good news what happened Can someone tell me? I think we can probably summarize it in even one sentence. What actually happened at that point?
0: The Spirit is leading, first of all.
2: Yes. And?
0: And growth in the Ah, church.
2: Absolutely, Ken. It exploded. Did it not? It exploded into all these Gentile areas and large numbers became Christians. What a great thing for the apostles to see. Wouldn't that be just... How would you guys and and Lydia, how would we feel to see it going like that?
4: I think we'd be so excited and stunned at the same time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think you're quite right. Okay, Acts 15. Oh, sorry. Did you want to say something?
5: Helen, I think we're all praying for just that to happen in 2018.
2: (laughs) So true. Okay, let's have a look. Acts 15, 1 and 2, I see uh, we're, our time is getting shorter and shorter for some reason. And Galatians two eleven to 14, there are two issues that caused serious conflict in the early church. Can you tell me what those two issues were, please?
3: There were in the church at this time what we would call Gentile Christians who didn't... That Gentile simply means they didn't have a Jewish background and Jewish Christians... I guess this feeling of superiority still existed to some degree and the Jewish Christians thought that the Gentile Christians needed to um, uh, observe certain of the Jewish customs which the Jews had observed for a long time and because of this they, uh, they caused quite a bit of trouble in the church I want to pick up just one little phrase and it says in Chapter 15 of Acts verse one. They said, "You cannot be saved. In other words, unless you observe the Jewish rules and regulations and customs, you cannot be saved. My wife had somebody say this to her, um, who was who belonged to a different group who said, "Unless you speak in tongues, you cannot be saved. Well, my wife didn't fall to pieces at that statement, because she knows very well that speaking in tongues is not a requirement to being saved. Just as keeping the uh, Jewish customs is not
0: a requirement to be saved.
2: Thank you. Yes. And I just
0: want to add on that to be a bit more particular, because there may be some Jewish customs which needs to be kept. But they were particularly talking about here, circumcision was one of the most uh, disputable thing there. And as you pointed out about speaking in tongues, that could be very specific, you know, from some groups of people just uh, raising up that thing. If you don't speak in tongues, then you are lost. You're not saved. But they may have some aspects of their teachings which is necessarily and required. Let's put it this way the Jewish people, they have customs to keep Sabbath holy, for example. Would that be uh, emphasized to the Gentiles to keep it holy? Of course, because that's, that was in, in, in line with the Bible teachings. Now, the circumcision, and we need to go back into this, and we haven't got time today, it was for a specific reason and i'm not going to to go further into this discussion we may come back another subject but i want to clarify th- this that not all of the jewish customs and things were bad
2: thank you just one question in there just before we go Lynn. um does the custom or the law save us no no thank you i was hoping to hear a resounding no right through our and uh, the panel no. no thank you we are saved through safe? the
1: blood and the, through the blood of Jesus who died for us he came here on this earth and died to save everyone who believes and loves him okay. believe in him only by grace through faith grace. in
3: Jesus yes Lynn so some people might be thinking oh there is an escape clause in what I must do to be saved Nick referred to the keeping of the Sabbath he said it was a Jewish custom I would like to point out and I've discussed this with various people uh, of various faiths there are negotiables and there are non-negotiables in uh, living as a Christian the non-negotiables revolve around the things that God said you must do this and you must do uh, must not do that but as far as the Jewish customs The Mosaic Law, that is a negotiable thing. A non-negotiable is a clear, thus saith the Lord. You can't fiddle with that. There is no escape clause from that. If God says you've got to keep the Sabbath or you've got to do this, you've got to do it.
2: But we do it because we love him, not to be saved. True. Do Because we save. Ken, you wanted to say something. Sorry. Oh
4: uh, <clears throat> Well, actually, there's so, so much to say <laughs> and so little time, really. But uh, I think also it does come back, uh, just sort of back step in a little bit, that when you do become a Christian, you have to read the Word of God. You don't go by what people tell you, what men, peop, uh, or what men tell you, or what pastors, ministers, whatever. You must read God's Word and find the truth out for yourself. And, of course, you just don't become a Christian and that's it. You get baptized, you, do, you don't do anything. You have to change your life and follow in Christ's
5: footsteps.
2: Thank
5: you. Helen, can I just make a final yes, comment on this? You
2: go.
5: I'm glad the issue of circumcision was brought up because it was vitally important to the Jew, and it was something that God gave them. However, Paul addresses this in some of his other epistles where he says the circumcision that God is looking for today is the circumcision of the heart. Ah. How does that come about? The external evidence of the circumcision of the heart Is baptism by immersion. Mm.
2: Thank you so much. Okay, so they had this conflict in the church going on. They called what they called the Jerusalem Council, and, uh, panel, I'm sure that you've read up about that. But they came to a conclusion. One thing I liked about it was it wasn't um, autocratic, it was democratic. You know, they came together, they discussed it. Okay, so what decision did the council come to regarding the fact of the Gentiles having to be circumcised? What did the council come to? Just quickly, anyone in the panel? Did they want to enforce the circumcision or did they agree not to?
3: No, the thing was they gave, just if I'd like, uh, I'd say general guidelines on these negotiable issues Um, it says in verse 19 we will write to them telling them to one abstain from food polluted by idols two from sexual immorality that really was a non-negotiable three from the meat of strangled animals and four from blood so it sort of satisfies the jewish psyche Amongst the Christian Church, but it's not an imposition on the Gentile.
2: Thank uh, you, Lynn. Can, can I just jump in there? You've mentioned four things. Question: Why were they told not? To, why were they told to abstain from things offered to idols? What was the reason for that?
3: Because food offered to idols, if you like, ha, is polluted. Mm. Polluted by sin. But in an actual fact, Paul talks about this in another place. He says, Ah, really. These idols are stone, metal, wood, whatever. They count for nothing. But the thought was that the food offered to idols is therefore
0: polluted.
2: Thank you. Worshipping heathen gods. Mm -hmm. Yes, Nick.
0: I'd like to also say something that we are all, as the Bible says, a living testimony. Now, when we are surrounded by people and we do things which in their eyes may affect their um, understanding and beliefs, and we can be a stumble block for those people, then it's very important. And Apostle Paul points out many times that far from me to be a stumble block, if I need to uh, abstain from this or that, I will do it. And that's very important why the disciples decided to to do this, because I'll come back to the circumcision uh, aspect. Circumcision traditionally was done when uh, the baby was born, you know, in, after a few, few days. Eight, eight days. Old. a day, eight days. Now, all of these Gentiles, they, are, they were now not babies anymore. Even though in the Bible there was a situation when all the people were circumcised, like in the case of Abraham, uh, that, but that not, was not a custom And that's what I'm trying to say here. This was a a group of people who you don't want to bring them back to the um, situation of being circumcised when it's not needed. But the other things which were visible in the community was very important to uphold those things and not to be a stumble block. Hmm.
5: Helen, can I suggest just quickly on this, as you look through this list of things offered to idols, fornication, strangled blood, Three of them, at least, are related to dietary either uses or practices. There's only one that's actually related to, uh, shall we say, moral standards, and that's fornication. Uh The reason for that is that the Greeks were absolutely notorious for their licentiousness. And to a Jew, uh, a Gentile Christian joining the Christian church would be expected to have a certain standard of moral behavior, which as you know in the book of leviticus god had made very very clear to the jewish people in regard to sexual practices and that sort of thing mm. i see as significant that three of them deal with dietary issues but one deals with the issue mm, of behavior isn't. which is observable both mm. within the church and also outside the church
2: i think the other reason too is that <coughs> often it um the sexual immorality came about with their pagan um, what is it? Cults and yes. their worship
1: at the time. Yes, Richard? Things offered to idols. I understand that um, when somebody offers things to another god, dedicates that things to another god. It's not the true god. So if it's not the true god, it's a it's a different god, and whatever is opposed to the true god, it's to Satan. So, if something is offered and dedicated to satan it means it means it's unclean yeah, yeah. so unclean things we shouldn't touch unclean things. I remember uh, when I was a small child, I was uh, uh, going uh, with the uh, children from the streets to funerals and to uh, weddings to the um, orthodox Church inside of the orthodox church and when my mom, my parents found out they taught us and they were saying that don't go there because over there you ca- cannot find the presence of the uh, uh, f- true god and the holy spirit and people were throwing uh, for example for the uh, on the funerals people were throwing like lollies and uh, put it on the road things like food dedicated to the uh, dead person and that was the, uh, uh, automatically was dedicated to dead people and we as children we picked up those things and we ate and my mother said don't do that because that is already dedicated to the the dead person so it's not a god it's not the true god so we stopped going because as little children we understood
2: yeah thank you thank you for sharing that personal side of it as well um just very quickly it was God's intention all along to save the entire world, wasn't it? Through yes. Israel's witness and experience, was it actually prophesied that the Gentiles would come into the church? Was this prophesied in, in the Old Testament? In a
5: word, yes.
2: In a word, yeah. Well, that was nice Both and in short.
5: Amos, Amos and <laughs> Jeremiah, but yeah. also in the book of Isaiah, yes, where it talks about the eunuchs and the people coming to God's temple. So there's a, a number of references in the Old Testament for God's desire that Israel as it were, be his template for how people should live, how people should relate to their God, and how people should conduct themselves so that their influence would have a positive influence on yet other heathen nations around them. Thank and you God me, yeah. included them all. It's wonderful that we serve a God who is so inclusive.
2: What I think is great is what we've really been talking <clears throat> about this morning is fulfillment of prophecy, isn't it? when you think about it, because it was prophesied. Okay, um, despite the positive outcome, some were still not satisfied. I think there is a quote.
5: It says, the entire body of Christians was not called upon to vote the question. Now, very briefly, I would say this is possibly where some of the future problems may have arisen. The apostles and elders, men of influence and judgment, framed and issued the decree which was thereupon generally accepted by the Christian churches. However, it says not all, however, were pleased with the decision. There was a faction of ambitious and self confident brethren who disagreed with it. These men assumed to engage in the work on their own responsibility. They indulged in much murmuring and fault finding, proposing new plans and seeking to pull down the work of the men whom God had ordained to teach the gospel message. From the first the church has had such obstacles to meet and ever will have till the close of time
2: well thank you for that So touched
5: on again in Galatians isn't yeah. it? Paul's dealing with exactly the same issue by people who were not prepared to accept the decision of Acts yeah. chapter 15 summer.
2: and again it could have been because of pride and pride happens when we look down on others or we're selfish with our resources or perhaps we force our solution on other people's problems or we think of God's blessing us because of our own merits, or we content with our plans instead of seeking God's plan, which I believe some of those were. Lydia, I believe you have another quote there, the first quote. Could you please read that fairly quickly for us, please? Thanks. Yes.
1: The council which decided this case was composed of apostles and teachers who had been prominent in raising up the Jewish and Gentile Christian churches, which chosen delegates from various places. Elders from Jerusalem and deputies from Antioch were present and the most influential churches were represented. The council moved in uh, in accordance with the dictates of enlightened judgment and with the dignity of a church established by the divine will. As a result of their deliberations, they all saw that God himself had answered the question at issues by bestowing upon the Gentiles the Holy Ghost. And they realized that it was their part to follow the guidance of the Spirit. Thank you. Okay, so
2: we see here in Acts a powerful example of how internal conflicts can undermine the unity of the church. However, the early church, through submission to the Word of God, along with a mindset of love, unity and trust, could, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, avert what could have been a major crisis of unity. The apostles, they did not ignore the conflicts that arose in the middle of them. They set out to resolve them so that nothing could get in the way of the mission of the church. And I believe several important principles came into play here. And just briefly, the problems were acknowledged openly and one or more people was appointed to seek a solution for the problem. The stories and opinions of those involved on both sides of the conflict were heard. The scripture was considered And evidence of the leading of God was both presented and sought after. And finally, the decision was communicated along with the reasons for the decision. So by following the process, major divisions were actually avoided. Transparency and accountability were provided. But my question would be, are all these principles transferable to the 21st century churches of today? Yes. Yes, thank you, Will. I believe so, absolutely. Yes,
0: and, uh, and just as a, uh, for a conclusion for myself from this study is that as at the beginning of the Christianity, you know, in early church, uh, people faced all those uh, issues and problems um, after a period of time of, you know, long period of time of rebellion and um, people not knowing to distinguish in between their left and right. We are here at the end, you know, of Christianity, just before Jesus. Christ our Lord is about to come and we are facing the same thing just uh, keep in mind we are coming after a long period of time of dark ages and when the gospel was shut down and we are called here now to spread it out and again facing the same obstacles the same issues like the first church uh, faced now are we going to learn from from that Or are we going to have hardship and difficulties in sorting out our differences? I pray to God that we'll be wise and led by God to do the right thing.
2: Thank you, Nick. Just a closing word, and that is that Jesus came to save all people. Jesus' grace, mercy, and unending love is meant for all people without distinction of race, skin color, social customs, and so on. Christ came to save Gentiles and Jews alike. He came to save us here in the panel, he came to save the listeners that are listening to this program. Brenton, would you just close with prayer for us, please? And thank you, panel.
5: Father in heaven, I just want to say thank you on behalf of our panel for today and ourselves individually for your amazing love for us that at the foot of the cross we are all equal. But Lord, help us to go from here with a message. Help us to see our role that you have appointed us more clearly to be more obedient to your leading. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us as he spoke to Peter. We need his guidance in our lives every day. And I pray, Lord, that we may all have that experience today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, panel. And thank you, listeners, for being with us today. Uh, Until next time, may God bless you and keep finding yourself walking in the footsteps of Jesus.
7: Like a game and a nice guy's finish last Pay no attention to rules, they were made for fools To get ahead you're gonna be real fast But the big letdown is bound to come When you can't find peace of mind Not the kind of peace that this old world gives They need peace of a different kind God made the rules, and He wrote them all down, and He gave them to all mankind. You can live your way, but sooner or later you pay, you can try living over the line. There are a lot of good books that will make you anything, from a lawyer to a good maker. But my friend, I want to tell that when all else fails, why don't you try reading God's book? That we face in this life That's not covered in this blessed rule book Telling how we should live And how to win in the end We just ought to take a time to look Why you suffer the pain Mistakes will bring When you try to play the game your way Whenever there's a doubt Check the rule book out You need to see what it The rules and he wrote them well down and he gave them to all mankind. You can live your way, but sooner or later you pay if you try living over the line. There are a lot of good books that will make you anything from a lawyer to a gourmet. But my friend, I want to tell that when all else fails, why don't you try reading God's books? But all else fails. Why don't you try reading God's book? Well, God made the baby rules and He rolled them all down, and He gave them to all mankind. You can live your way, but sooner or later you pay. You try living over the line. There are a lot of good books that will make you anything from a lawyer to a good man. My friend, I want to tell that all else fails, why don't you try reading God's book? But my friend, I want to tell that all else fails, why don't you try reading God's book?